Uh, I'll, I'll share something that I didn't share this morning that has to do with my prayer challenge this afternoon. Uh, I want to share with you a resource. And as I was talking through some of, some of the uh, different methods for um, maybe reinvigorating your prayer life, one thing I didn't talk about because I don't, didn't feel like I had enough time and I didn't want it to be misconstrued is the idea of praying uh, prepared prayers. Okay, So uh, the reason that I'm always hesitant is because if you take a prayer that's written down, you could say it as a vain repetition and act like you're praying and just be reading something. Okay, But if you use uh, a thoughtful prayer that's been written down by someone else as a jumping off point for your own prayer uh, to focus your attention on spiritual things, it can be a really good thing. I want to recommend to you a book that I, I would loan to you, but I use it, so you can't have it. But if you want a copy, I can help you find one. Uh, it's called The Valley of Vision. It is a book of prayers. Every page is a prayer, and the idea is not to just read this and count it as your prayer time. The idea is for the thoughts in these prayers to be a springboard for your own time with the Lord. And maybe some things that you haven't talked to, to God about in some time, uh, this gets your mind on those things. Um, it is a book of Puritan prayers. I am not a Puritan. I have no desire to be a Puritan. I have some doctrinal issues with Puritanism. But the wonderful thing about the Puritans, especially the Puritans of old, is that they were very, very thoughtful people. Okay? They would think very deeply about spiritual things. And um, this book has been recommended to me over and over again. It's a book of prayers. It's called The Valley of Vision. I recommend it to you. And actually, I would love to share, to you, share with you specifically what I was praying about this afternoon out of this book, but it has to wait because it's actually in the sermon. Um, and uh, it's pretty amazing how that happened, that, that the, the very first prayer I was on today um, fit a sermon point really, 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 really well. But we'll, we'll see in just a minute. Uh, we'll, we'll consider this book. I recommend it to you. Um, again, if you would like to help getting a copy or finding it, I can help you with that. All right, Jonah. I, I told you chapter 2. We didn't quite finish chapter 1. There's one verse left in chapter 1, but I figured if I told you chapter 2, you'd get on the right page. Um, so we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. I'll give you a little recap here in case you missed it or you forgot where we were at. The story of Jonah is very well known. Jonah has refused his call uh, to go to the people of Nineveh to preach the judgment of God to them. And by extension, Jonah knows that the purpose of an oracle of judgment is to call people to repentance. Jonah doesn't want the people uh, of Nineveh to repent, so he goes down to the seaport, city of Joppa, uh, now known as Jaffa, it's still there, uh, Joppa, he goes down to Joppa, gets on a ship going the opposite direction. He's actually headed towards Spain. Uh, he's trying to get to a place called Tarshish, which is in uh, modern-day Spain, uh, heading 500 miles in the opposite direction of where God called him to be. As he travels along, uh, the ship encounters a storm. And uh, initially, Jonah sleeps through the storm while the sailors are praying to their gods for deliverance. Finally, they wake Jonah. They beseech him to pray. Instead of praying, uh, he, it doesn't seem that he does. We don't see Jonah praying. And then uh, 
the sailors decide that this must be somebody's fault. This must be judgment. They've never seen a storm like this. God must be judging us. So they cast lots. They figure out that Jonah uh, is to blame. And when they press him, he says, yeah, uh, it's me. Uh, I serve the one and only true God who created all things. And I'm disobeying him right now. And uh, the, the, the response of the sailors is, why would you do this? Why would you do this? What is wrong with you? So uh, Jonah's suggestion is that they throw him into the sea. Uh, Jonah thinks he would be righteous in dying as long as he doesn't kill himself, which is an interesting opinion. Uh, so Jonah suggests that he be thrown into the sea. The sailors don't want to do it. They see that that's a bad idea. Jonah apparently can't see that that's a bad idea. Sailors try to row to shore. They cannot row to shore. They cast Jonah into the sea. The storm stops, and the sailors turn and worship the one true God, offer sacrifice, and vow to offer sacrifices from that day on. This is where we left Jonah. He is sinking deep into the depths of the sea. And as far as Jonah is concerned, he's dead. It's, it's over. Uh, he's not that good a swimmer, okay? He, he's not going to make it. He is done for. And uh, as he sinks, we see Jonah's opinion of dying change. It seems like he doesn't want to die anymore. It doesn't seem like a good idea anymore. And we're going to see Jonah's response to his drowning in just a moment. Let's begin. We'll read this passage. We're going to begin in uh, verse 17 of chapter 1. And we'll continue on to the end of chapter 2. It's only 11 verses. And we'll con consider these verses together tonight. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed, Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about, the weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Let's ask God's blessing on, on his word, then we'll consider these few verses. Father, thank you for uh, the stories of these men of old that teach us so much about humanity and about our God. Would we see uh, who our Father is? Would we see who we are? And would we see Christ as we look into this passage this evening? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what I like to do. This is a little unusual. I'd like to walk back through those 11 verses and I would like to figure out what they mean. It is very poetic language. I don't think that Jonah prayed this poetically in the belly of the whale, 
I think when he came back and wrote it down later, he probably touched it up a little bit and was conveying the groanings and what he meant to say. Okay, I think that's probably the case is that he wasn't writing poetry in the whale's belly. He was talking to God for a very long time and uh, probably three days and three nights and, uh, and then kind of figured things out when he wrote things down later. Uh, so let's go back and look at some of this, uh, what we might call poetic language. Make sure we have a firm understanding of what it literally means, and then we'll look at what it means for us. Verse 17, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is a serious hang-up for people, because we have discovered, I don't know how many, probably millions of species of marine life, and it doesn't seem that there are any of them uh, that you could reasonably live inside of for three days and three nights. I don't know why it's such a hang-up for people because God is literally all-powerful, okay? They're like, what, what species of fish is this? I don't know. The only species of fish that we know of that could actually swallow you is a sperm whale, but you would die inside the whale. Just the pressure changes inside of the fish would kill you, uh, let alone the stomach acid and all that. You know, they get hung up on all these details. Here's the fact of the matter. God is completely sovereign. And in just a moment, we're going to see Jonah acknowledging the fact that this is super strange. And the only person who could have made this happen is God. So if God can part the Red Sea, if God can raise people from the dead, God can design a fish that can hold a person for three days and three nights or supernaturally sustain a person for three days and three nights. So don't let that get... You know, people are like, that's a fairy tale. It's not possible. You realize how many things in the Bible are not possible? Many, many of them. But they're only possible because we serve the God of the impossible who is above all creation. He commands it. So it's really not... I, critics who get hung up on this really kind of miss the point of the whole Bible, I think. Okay. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to look at uh, what a commentator says about this verse. Something I almost missed. Verse 2, And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and He heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. So jo Jonah cries to the Lord, and he cries, he says, out of the belly of Sheol, out of the belly of hell. Where is the belly of hell? Okay, don't let it throw you off that it's belly. <laughs> this is not the whale. Remember, this is Jonah's prayer uh, about what he said when he was drowning. Okay, what he said when he was drowning. He is sinking down into the depths of the ocean. There's no whale yet when this prayer is first uttered. He is sinking down into the depths of the ocean. And he says that he is calling to God out of Sheol. And the idea is that as he sinks deeper and deeper into the ocean, he feels himself drawing closer to the abode of the dead, which is Sheol. It can mean grave. It can mean hell. Um, but it's the Jewish understanding of the abode of the dead. And it's, a, it's a poetic way of saying that he was in big trouble. He was deep in the earth and in very big trouble. Uh, it's interesting to note that here is Jonah sinking down into the depths of the ocean and the method of salvation that God sends is this great fish. I said this last week, 
But I think we get this idea that the fish is God's judgment and that spending three days and three nights in the belly of the fish was because of Jonah's sin. But actually, the great fish coming to swallow Jonah was Jonah's salvation because he was sure he was going to drown. Here he is. He says he's sinking down. It feels like he's sinking down into Sheol, into the grave, into the belly of the earth. And just as he's sinking down, he's scooped up out of nowhere by this great fish sent from God. Verse 3, for thou, hast, for thou hadst cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. There's a difference, one commentator said, there's a difference between running from God and being cast away from God. And here, as Jonah sinks into the ocean, he feels that he has been cast away from God. And he points to God's judgment. Notice that he doesn't say the billows and the waves. He says thy billows and thy waves. He understands that his drowning is judgment for his disobedience to God. He says, verse 6, I went down to the bottoms or the roots of the mountains. It's an interesting way to think of the bottom of the ocean as the roots of the mountains. Uh, I went down to the bottoms of the, uh, of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Uh, so he's sinking. He's sinking down into the bottom of the ocean. Verse 5, we, we, uh, we missed a few things. Uh, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me around. The weeds wrapped around my head. He's trying to paint this picture of he's drowning desperately. He's drowning desperately. His situation is dire. He says, the earth with her bars was about me forever. It's kind of a scary image of sinking into the depths of the ocean and being locked in a prison of the earth where no one would ever find you. Okay? Uh, it's kind of a frightening picture of drowning that Jonah is painting. The second half of verse 6, Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. When Jonah looked to God for deliverance, God heard him. And not only did God hear, God delivered. Uh, twice uh, in this passage, Jonah mentions uh, the holy temple. And there's some debate about whether the, he's talking about Jerusalem whether he's talking about heaven, the abode of God. I suggest to you that it doesn't matter uh, whether he's talking about Jerusalem or heaven. Uh, commonly in Jewish writings, we see the two conflated because God is present in both places, in the temple and in heaven. Think of when we talk about the city of Zion. The city of Zion can refer to Jerusalem, but it can also refer to heaven, the abode of God. It really has to do with the fact that Jonah is calling out to where God is, from where he is. That's the point. Verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. It's pretty unlikely that unless you have a commentary handy, you would be able to figure out what this verse means. Uh, they're, trying, they're trying for a very literal rend rendering of the words that are used here. But basically what he's saying is that those who call on false gods will be disappointed. 
because the only God that could be trusted to do something this crazy is Yahweh, my God. Uh, this is where Jonah is kind of pointing out how ludicrous it is to be saved from drowning by being swallowed by a fish. It's a pretty outlandish story. And Jonah says, the only one who could accomplish this is the true God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. Um, lying vanity is a reference to false idols. Uh, only an all-powerful God could accomplish this great salvation. It's too fantastic for any other. Verse 9, he says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. And Here's a very key phrase. Salvation is of the Lord. And we talked about this last week, but this phrase could be used as the key verse or the key phrase of the book of Jonah. Jonah here recognizes, though not fully yet, uh, Jonah here recognizes that salvation is of the Lord. Of course, he speaks of his salvation from drowning, but may not realize at the time of his prayer, and maybe not even at the time of his writing of the prophecy, that this statement would mean so much more than salvation from our temporal trials. Or even salvation for Israel from their enemies. But salvation from our sins, from the consequences of them, salvation is of the Lord. Verse 10, we see the resolution of this part of the story. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Uh, the interesting thing is it seems that the vomiting probably happens at Joppa, uh, where Jonah left off from. Okay, uh, Based on the description of Jonah's journey and some of the wording used here, uh, scholars have decided that probably he's back at Joppa where he left from. So the fish just took him back where he started. Okay, So God is very directly giving uh, Jonah a second chance. Right where he left off. Try again. In just a moment, we're going to look at what we can learn from Jonah's prayer, and we're going to see that there is the good, the bad, and then we're going to see the imagery as well. And that's how we're going to divide these things up. I do want to kind of address something that may be on your minds if you've studied the book of Jonah before. There's this interpretation Besides the idea of a person spending three days in the belly of a fish and how that could possibly happen, uh, there's a second question that people really seem to get hung up on about this story, and that is this. Did Jonah die in the belly of the fish? Have you heard this before? I understand, I'm talking to the Sunday night crowd. Uh, you all have studied Jonah in the past. I'm, I'm very tempted to take a poll, okay? How many of you think Jonah died in the belly of the fish? How many of you think he didn't die in the belly of the fish? Um, it's debated. Uh, I would say it doesn't make sense for Jonah to have died in the belly of the fish. For a couple of reasons, and for those of you keeping track back home or maybe following up on me, you can follow my logic here. Um, the, main, the main argument is from verse 2 where Jonah talks about calling out from the, the depths of hell, really, calling out to God from the depths of hell. And it's this word sheol, and what can sheol possibly mean? Um, it can refer to hell or the abode of the dead. Uh, it can also refer to the grave or anywhere that's underground. Okay, and we see that 
especially uh, New Testament usage, we, we see that sometimes used of the grave. Um, it seems like, like I said before, it seems like it's a figure of speech, uh, and, and you can only interpret that way because, first of all, secondly, second reason, Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. And that's very clear in verse 1. It would be very hard to pray from the belly of the fish if Jonah were dead in the belly of the fish. Uh, and then there is no explicit mention in this book of Jonah's death or his resurrection. You would think that if Jonah were raised from the dead in the belly of the fish, uh, it would make a big deal of that. Okay? We don't see any mention of God bringing Jonah back to life or anything like that. We just see him praying in the belly of the fish, and then we see him spit on a dry land. So if I just confuse you because you've never heard about that before, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think, but I don't, for those of you who have heard about that, I don't think Jonah died in the belly of the fish. I don't think it makes any, any sense expositionally. Okay? If that was confusing to you, put it out of your mind. We're going to follow a really direct sermon outline for the rest of this, okay? So let's talk about the good that we learn from Jonah's prayer. Jonah's prayer is what we might call, and one commentator called, a prayer of declarative praise. This is a great thing to follow our message from this morning. And I, I talked about how I think in our prayer, praise is the thing that's often missing. And here Jonah offers a prayer of declarative praise, meaning he's just ascribing to God some things that are true about him. This is absolutely a good prayer. It extols God for his power. It extols God for his salvation and grace. It extols God for deliverance. And in fact, as you uh, pray Scripture, the prayer of Jonah is a wonderful prayer to pray through. It's especially a wonderful prayer to pray through if you're going through something that seems very difficult. If you're, if you're passing through a trial, the prayer of Jonah is a wonderful prayer to turn to. Jonah was definitely in a trial, and he, remi he was reminded of the greatness of God in deliverance. Uh, one of the things that Jonah points out in his prayer is that God hears. God hears. Does it ever feel to you like God is far away? Does it ever feel like your conversations might be a little one-sided? I, I think people especially feel that God is far away in the midst of a difficult time. And you want things to change and you want things to get better and you're calling out to God and it's not changing and it's not getting better and God seems far away. But the prayer of Jonah reminds us that God hears. 1 John 5.14, a New Testament reference. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, what does He do? He hears us. He heareth us. God hears us in our trials. God hears us also when we wander. Think about what Jonah's relationship was like with God when this prayer began. Uh, you know, before the prayer of thanksgiving, there was the prayer of drowning. <laughs> okay? The prayer of thanksgiving references the prayer of drowning. And when Jonah calls out to God as he's drowning, Jonah's sinking into the depths. He reaches out to the the, what he calls the holy temple of God, whether that's the temple in Jerusalem, or we already talked about that, but he reaches out to God and God hears. Even though Jonah has been doing nothing good, he's been running from God, he's been living in sin, but when Jonah turns to God in humility, 
God hears. I think, you know, this is reminiscent to me of a, maybe a more commonly understood story along this theme, which is the prodigal son. And he goes into the far city and he uh, wastes his inheritance and he dishonors his father. And then when he returns, his father is waiting with open arms. This is God. And when Jonah calls out after a period of rebellion, God's ears are open to his child. Jonah's prayer reminds us that God hears. Jonah's prayer reminds us that God saves. We already talked about this key expression, salvation is of the Lord. And Jonah says that God saves, first of all, because he is strong enough to save. Jonah repeatedly extols God for his greatness And it is his greatness that allowed him the ability to save Jonah from certain death. And also, God saves when no one else can. Humanity loves to put their trust in anything but God. And I guess maybe in our culture today, we're much less likely to take a piece of hardwood and carve it into a face or a small figure and bow down before that statue. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but that's much less common in our immediate culture. But we do set up our idols, and our favorite idol in America, because we're so self-sufficient, is us. We trust in us. And the fact of the matter is that Jonah couldn't save Jonah from his predicament. And nobody else could either except for God. God saves because He's mighty too, and He is the only one who is strong enough to save. So we're reminded that God hears, that God saves, and also that God renews. Talk about Jonah getting a second chance. And he spit up on dry ground, and as we read into chapter 3 next week, I think next, yeah, next week, as we we read into chapter 3, we'll see that Jonah recommits himself to submit to God's will for him to go and preach to the Ninevites. God is a God, not just of second chances though, and I'm very thankful, but God is the God of 70 times 7th chances. It's hard to say. I wrote that down and it seemed clever and it's very hard to say. You know what I'm trying to say, okay? I'm bringing the teaching of Jesus into Jonah here. God is the God of 70 times 7th chances. And I'm so grateful for that, that God is so long-suffering that when I fail and I fail and I fail and I fail and I fail, He wants me to try again. He wants me to seek His grace and His forgiveness to repent and recommit to get up and keep going. That's what He encourages Jonah to do. The whale spits him back out for a second chance. These are wonderful things as you meditate on this psalm of Jonah, this prayer of Jonah, These are wonderful ways to look at it and things to be reminded of. But I want to point out to you something that's missing that's going to set us up for Act 3 of the story of Jonah, okay? What is missing? Well, let me ask you, okay? It's Sunday evening. Well, let me ask you, what is missing from this prayer? There's something Jonah never does. Yes. He never confesses or repents of his sin. He never acknowledges his wrongdoing. He just thanks God that he didn't drown and thinks that, I mean, the least I can do now so I don't drown again is I'll go preach. He never admits his wrongdoing. And not only does he not admit that he was disobedient, but there's a more core problem here, isn't there? The problem is not 
the root problem is not Jonah's disobedience, because what caused his disobedience? His hatred of the people of Nineveh. God loved them. God wanted to offer salvation to them, and Jonah hated them. And he has not figured that much out yet. And, uh, you know, we can look at Jonah, and we can look at his prayer, and we can look at his actions so far, and we talked about this last week, but you get so frustrated with Jonah, okay? Just get it through your thick skull. God wants to save everybody, okay? Um, but how often, I wonder, is my repentance and my submission to God incomplete? This is, uh, this is where, as I went to prayer this afternoon and I opened up this book, I read this prayer, and I'm, I'm sure I probably read it before, but it fit this point so well, and it's such a core part of this story of Jonah. Um, this, this prayer is titled, Continual Repentance. I'll just read it to you. Uh, the authors in this book are anonymous. It says, O God of grace, Thou hast imputed my sin to my substitute, and hast imputed his righteousness to my soul clothing me with a bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But in my Christian walk, I am still in rags. My best prayers are stained with sin. My penitential tears are so much impurity. My confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. My receiving the Spirit is tinctured, that's a great word, tinctured with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments, and by grace am always receiving change of raiment, for thou dost always justify the ungodly. I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me, and thou art always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning let me wear it, every evening return in it, go out to the day's work in it, be married in it, be wound in death in it, stand before the great white throne in it, enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace." Part of that that stuck out to me when it talks about, it uses this imagery, I need to repent of my repentance. My tears need to be washed. And the idea is, even when I come in repentance, I still repent imperfectly. God has to fill in all the gaps for me. I know that my view of my sin is not complete. I know that there are probably sinful attitudes and actions that have escaped my notice my entire life that God still needs to deal with me about. But though my faith and repentance are imperfect, God is mighty to save. He is mighty even in the imperfection of my repentance. And we see Jonah delivered in the sea in spite of the imperfection of his repentance. Okay. So we saw the good, the extolling of God, his, his, his ability to save, his willingness to save. We see the bad, okay, kind of left out repentance for the whole 
Um, I know the word bigotry is kind of used, overused, but that's kind of what's going on here. He just doesn't like them because of where they're from and who they are and what they've done. Okay, he's, he's biased against them. He doesn't repent of that, so that's kind of an issue, but that's what the rest of the book of Jonah is going to deal with is that issue. Uh, and then we see the typology or the symbolism. Everywhere we turn in Jonah, we see Jesus, which is pretty cool, seeing as this was written hundreds of years before Jesus would come. And we see Jesus so specifically. Let's turn, we're almost out of time, but we have time to do this. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12 and see that Jesus himself draws this type for us. Of course, where Jonah is imperfect, Christ is perfect. Matthew chapter 12, we'll read this. It's a brief story. Uh, we'll begin in verse uh, 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of the prophet, it's transliterated Jonas here, but this is Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they, had, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. This is a sick burn, if you're wondering. That's a sick burn. He, he is laying it on just as clearly as possible. But um, the point of this, and there's two references to two parts of the story of Jonah. But the part that's relevant here is that Jesus says, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth. Um, he's signifying, as Jesus often did through imagery, the fact that he would die and rise again, and this would be the greatest sign that anybody could ask for. Uh, you want a sign? Well, there will no more signs be given you except for the sign of the prophet Jonah, which is, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again, and you are still not going to believe. You're going to get the greatest sign I could give you, and it won't matter. It won't matter. And then he compares, we'll, get to the, we'll come back to this, but he compares the Pharisees to the people of Nineveh, and he says, Jonah went to Nineveh, and all he did was preach repentance, and they repented. And I've come to you, and I've shown you signs and preached repentance, and you still don't get it. You still don't believe. Uh, he says that they will be judged by the people of Nineveh, as in they'll be weighed against them. But we'll come back to that at a later date. But there's this image here of Jesus uh, in the belly of the earth as Jonah was in, in the belly of the fish. There's the obvious comparison of the time in the earth and the time in the belly of the fish. There's another comparison, that is that the theme of the story of Jonah is the same as the theme of the story of, of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. And that theme is salvation. Just as we saw salvation is of the Lord, as Jonah was rescued from drowning. We see salvation is of the Lord as Jesus Christ dies on the cross and rises again and shows us that he is mighty to
to say. That's the comparison being drawn by Christ. All of human history, all of biblical history, was leading up to the coming of Christ. And ultimately, it is leading to the consummation of Christ's kingdom. And we see, even from the time of Jonah and well before, God has been intricately weaving this tapestry for the salvation of mankind. It's amazing for us to be able to look back at so much of what God has done and put the pieces together and get excited about the pieces that are coming together very soon. That God will call his people home, that God will judge of sin and of righteousness, that God will establish his kingdom forever. It's a wonderful thing. As God's plans have not been thwarted then, they will not be thwarted now. The theme of today, all day, has been the theme of prayer. Let's get serious about seeking God's face, but as we do, let's remember what we've learned from the example of the prayer of Jonah today. We've learned that God hears us even when He seems far away. That God is the God of second chances and we can come to Him even with our sin. And God is the God of salvation and we should constantly praise Him for His mercies in Christ. Let's pray. And then we'll sing a closing song before we dismiss. Father, thank you for uh, the pictures of salvation we see in this true story of Jonah. Lord, would we learn from the lessons good and bad from this story? Would we learn to extol you for your greatness and salvation? Would we learn to call out to you in our times of trouble? But Lord, unlike Jonah, would we be quick to recognize our sin in light of the truth that you've revealed? And that we would humble ourselves uh, to know that you are greater and stronger and that your righteousness is enough. Father, as we go from here, even as we were challenged this morning and many accepted the challenge this afternoon, that we would be people of prayer and that our prayers would reflect your glory and cause great effect in the world around us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.